Welcome to Blood is Red, volume one of the color collection series of short story anthologies written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Blood is Red is also available as an ebook and an unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash blood is red. Hello, everyone. Welcome to part two of the Blood is Red Q&A, where I and my partner, a real girl herself, answer your questions about not only Blood is Red, but the Sigglerverse as well. And we will say right out front, unzip, unfurl, there are giant girthy spoilers in this podcast. If you've not listened to all of the Sigglerverse stuff, you may get spoiled on this. You have two options. You can jump ahead every time we mention, or you can... Come back after you've caught up on everything in the second. Yeah, you go buy all my shit and listen to (laughs) and or read all my shit, preferably both, and then come back and find this bookmarked episode because I know you made a bookmark because you do not want punishment. You do not want punishment. So let's, you want to jump right into it? Let's get into it. Yeah. So like Scott said, I'm going to ask him questions. They are spoilerific. I am going to try to let you guys know along the way if I think of it. And they're all questions from you guys. Sam Morris wrote in and said, how old are the stories in Blood is Red? I like the mix of eras, like between Wolf and Red Man, mm-hmm. and also the sprinkling of religion, aliens, mutants, and some supernatural all in one book. Who's the mutant? Uh, let's talk about uh, how old these stories. Some of these stories are over 20 years old. Some of these stories I was writing very early on in my career. Some of them I'd started or taken a pass at even before I got to the point where I was writing a short story every week, beginning to end, edited, finished in order to ramp up into the writing career to prove myself that I could do that. As far as the different eras of the fiction, it really, it just depends on the story. It just depends on the idea. Um, But I will tell you, in my most recent work, I have learned I'm probably not going to do any pre-modern fiction. Again? Ever (laughs) again. Especially not in the the context of a novel, because fuck... Fuck is it hard work, you guys. It is so hard work to have to cut out all of the common phrases we use in day-to-day life and to go, okay, when, when did people start using the phrase, tie one on? Okay, if this is summary 1750, <laughs> check it out. Like, turns out that's a 19th, can't use it, can't use it. And that's so much work and I don't want to do it anymore. I just want to tell fart jokes and put them in print. <laughs> to be fair, this is one of the reasons because of the the difficulty that it was writing the crypt because the crypt is a dark story if you haven't read it once a week he was writing something else and he wanted to write something very deep and dark and (laughs) creative and i was like you're gonna write about fart jokes we got to go back to fart jokes we absolutely have to because it would be too heavy for him to do both at the same time which is why we got slay and i'm not mad about it Yep, Slay worked out good. By the way, David Taylor, best comment of both episodes. He says, the continuity between this and the last episode is amazing. (laughs) Very good. Very good, sir. Very good. What's up, Travis? Okay. Beckett Barham Mm -hmm. says, how many hours a day do you write, and how do you keep everything in your intricate plot lines straight while you do? Multi-part question. Let's get into it. How long do I write every day? The goal is four hours a day of actual writing, then four hours a day of business stuff, outlining, emails, all the other stuff, and then I go out and enjoy my perfect life with my fucking fantastic, ridiculous, amazing wife. 
that so far has not actually ever happened except for maybe three days. Right now, I would say today was a day off because I wrote for 10 hours and then I prepared for this podcast. The last, I'd say the last seven or eight writing days have been at minimum 13 hours at maximum 15 hours because we're under not only a deadline to deliver for a business partner we have, I need to be done with this. I need to get this book done get it out the door so I can go work on a bunch of other shit. So I would say back in the day when some of you started listening to me 15 years ago, 10 years ago, those were probably 70 week, 70 hour week yeah, weeks. When you factor in, if you factor in all the business, they're probably 80 hour weeks. And now I think I'm down to like uh, maybe 60, 65, depending on if there's a crushing deadline, it can jump up a notch. Yeah. But the goal will be where I'd love to make this a 40 hour week job. We'll see how that works. <laughs> and, but we, we have been kludging in changes that I do think once we get past this deadline hurdle will be a little bit easier. Okay, Tracy Shank, who unfortunately just left, asked, is there any method or preference when choosing the weapons for your stories? Many different choices, as I've heard within your books. Not counting GFL story choices, do you have favorites? Or is it just researching special ops weapons? Or is it just researching spe special ops weapons? Like in Earthcore, the simple weapons, Sea Camp, like Brian Clauser has in Nocturnal, or even the Hippo's handgun. I find myself Googling those I don't recognize after listening. That's a combo. It is, I would say it's a three-part story. Number one, I'll Google weapons for a particular situation. I'll find something like, oh, dude, that is so sick. And then I work it into a book. However, that's part one, and I will say I've pretty much exhausted all the super sick stuff I've ever looked up and gotten to the breakpoint where this would take four pages of explanation, and I really just want to mention it in two paragraphs. So that has gone by the wayside. Step two is relying on Chris Grawl, Mr. Happy, who is in the chat room right now. Those of you who listen to podcasts, can say, we do this, but we do this show every Wednesday, 6 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. <laughs> Eastern time. You can watch it, Twitch TV slash Scott twitch.tv slash Scott Sigler, youtube.com slash Scott Sigler, facebook.com slash Scott Sigler, a real girl and I show up every week and we talk to you live. Join us in the chat room. So the second part two of the three part trident of weapons, as we like to call it, the triumvirate of weaponry is I will go to Chris Grawl, who's one of the secret agents tells my stories and say, I need this. I need some super fucking cool shit in this situation right here. Mm -hmm. And he will send a link be like, this weapon is the bomb. And I'll look at him and be like, you're right. That weapon is the bomb. <laughs> and then we'll put that weapon in. And then the third part of the triumvirate of weaponry is, yes, three, three parts. The third part is Chris and I will just invent a weapon. We'll make a weapon. Nice. And Chris, for the crypt, Chris hey, Robin, did. Nice to see you. Chris did, I'm going to guess, somewhere between 30 and 40 PowerPoint slides showing not only how all the different weaponry works, but how, the, the strategy of using the weaponry, how people and reload, how they get trained, all this detail, most of which you don't see, but I, with the visual graphics he provides and his knowledge, I'm able to make it seamless. And, and in fact, put it I in. know for a fact hey, that, Robin. that one of the weapons he's talking about that he created with Chris can be found in Chris's soon-to-be-out book, Trigger, Trigger Guard, which is weapons knowledge for writers specifically. Yep. Chris is a writer of fiction as well. This is a non-fiction book based on his expertise and his his love of sci-fi and his writing acumen as well as a fiction writer. And you can even see it in that book. The Scott said, I need a, a cool-ass gun like this. And Chris used his knowledge to, to create that weapon, which you can see a, a graphic of in Trigger Guard when it comes out. And one of the most interesting things, Chris was here this weekend and we, he mentioned that there are some things that 
are part of that weapon that never got mentioned and never got used. But the process of thinking it through to create the said weapon so that it would be consistent and hold up and like it wouldn't recoil if it wasn't supposed to, even if you never mentioned the recoil. I thought that was pretty cool. So yep. you can take a look Very at cool. that in Trigger Very cool. Okay. Did you have a qu- another? Qu- oh, we've just switched. Uh, we're switching okay. cameras now. So I can. Hodari Davenport asks. Hodari. What- What is your process on selecting the right narrator for your work when you decide that you're not going to do it yourself? Ray Porter is a great choice, but there are so many more out there like R.C. Bray, Kate Reading, Simon Vance, to name a few. So how do you go about picking talent to ensure that your vision and feel of the story fits? Oh, okay. This is an interesting question. We're going to I'm going to cover this as quickly as I can. But this is a uh, a chronological documentation of how shit works. (laughs) When I started podcasting, I was not published. I had no leads. Nothing was going on. I was getting rejection letters left and right. I learned about podcasting. I learned how to podcast. And I went in and just turned on a microphone and started recording. So I was narrating my own books. And then when we got the deal for uh, the big deal with Random House for Infected, Contagious, and Pandemic, I, I went ahead and requ- I said, the reason I had this deal is because I do my podcast every week and people know my voice. I'm going to do Infected. They were like, okay, recorded Infected. Went great. My agent forgot to get me paid for infected. So that was like the first wake up call. They're like, oh, that was a lot of time. And I didn't get paid for this. It's a crazy side story. Went on and did Contagious. And then by the time we got to Pandemic, we're starting to get busy. We started to go out to, to get other narrators. We move forward. The Generations Trilogy is a primary female POV protagonist. So we went out and found a woman to do those stories. And somewhere during that time, we were introduced to Ray Porter by Jonathan Mayberry and Ray Porter did Earthcore for us. We were able to land him for that. And the, the answer to your question is why don't we have other narrators? If you find a narrator who delivers mostly on time, mostly at a rate you can afford, sometimes you got to go a little bit in the red for it, but, but you know the quality you're going to get and having hired A-list narrators a couple of times and having wound up meeting someone who's an absolute prima donna who doesn't deliver on time, who screws up all of our publication schedules and is extraordinarily difficult to work with. When you find someone who is none of those things, you tend to grab onto them. And Ray is one of those people who is none of those things. So we primarily stick to Ray. If I narrate it, Great. From now on, if it's female narrated, it's probably going to be A, we keep it all in house. Mm-hmm. If it's a, lar- a, a larger title and we can get away with a male narrator, it's probably going to be Ray because Ray, yeah. Ray, Ray is a jam. So that's in a nutshell how it all progressed. And that's uh, also, he's speaking of uh, books that Empty Set puts out. So we we didn't we didn't choose Bronson Pichot for the mm. Aliens book, recorded books, or whoever put it out did. Are we delighted? Absolutely. Oh Was it absolutely epic? What a great, yes, what but, a lovely human. But I don't think we we could have gotten on his radar. I don't know that we... It's, I'm so, not that's sure I would have known he was out there. That's Yeah, that's... Yeah. So, so I, I listen to a fuck ton of audiobooks. I've heard of these other narrators. And eventually we will probably wind up working with someone else. But uh, you, guys, you guys really haven't had a chance to see it yet. But when A gets to create an audio project from scratch, or she's not trying to follow up on someone or do another thing... It's pretty spectacular. So I'm pretty excited about that. All right. Let's rock. Uh, Sean Dyer, these are from before, but still great questions. Aside from Krakens versus Orbiting Death, what are the major GFL rivalries? That's a good question. Sean's always got some deep cuts. I I think it's usually conference related. I think Orbiting Death being the Raiders of uh, of the GFL, even though there's another team called the Raiders, is they hate everyone. Everyone hates them. 
So the Raiders have diehard rivalries with the Chargers, the Chiefs, and everyone. Like, the Raiders <laughs> have, seem to have a rivalry with friggin' everyone. As far as other specific rivalries, I really haven't gotten into it all that much. I, I think, think it's the, something with Isis Ice Storm, right? Uh, Ice, that's a football I think or a quarterback thing, right? The Isis Ice Storm probably is a rivalry with other franchises that are owned by primarily aquatic-based or amphibious life forms. They, they tend to uh, get super mad at each other. Yeah. Uh, and then he had a second question. Would a satirly native Pookie Chang have to use uh, a different expression to name his cop show? God, that's a <laughs> good question. Fuck. Fuck. Okay, so the reason is Pookie Chang is character nocturnal, and he is the sidekick to Brian Clouser, the Terminator, who's the main character. And Pookie knows he's sidekick-esque because his partner is so good at everything. And Pookie's just, frankly, uh, he's good at he's good at talking shit and shagging bra. That's what he does. Um, pardon me, that was my throat. So Pookie writes a, a TV show called Blue Balls, which is about two cops who go out and do cop stuff and bust crime. It's a buddy cop show, except the main character's Pookie Chang. So would uh, if Pookie was... A satirically six native and did blue you name skin. The, did you tell them what the show was called? Blue balls. Oh, you did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Make sure you mentioned. So if Pookie was a satir. This is like a third level connection between our stories. <laughs> so if great. Pookie was blue skinned all over, would he still get blue, blue balls? balls? I think the answer <laughs> is the show would be called Purple Balls, except that doesn't have the alliteration. So I honestly, I don't, fuck you. Go to hell. You go to hell. <laughs> go to hell, Sean. So good. Okay, another question from Mike King. He says, I was looking at Facebook and Scott posted a pic of himself with the word hair on his t-shirt. Editor's note, the word was actually chair, but the C was difficult to see. This brought my eyes to his perfectly shaped bald head. Mm -hmm, and as someone mm -hmm. who is thinning incredibly on top, how did you know it was time to go full Monty? And if you didn't shave for a month right now, what would you have? Hold on. First of all, I got to say, Eric Fisher in the chat room, Said Pookie's skill set is speaking and shagging. Well done, sir. Well done. Wait, and also said bluer balls. Uh, Daniel Baker, no god. Teal testes. Wow. <laughs> That's Pookie's show right there. Teal testes. The question was, when did I know it was time to shave my head? That is, I figured out it was time to shave my head a little bit later than I should have. Which happens to most men with male pattern baldness is there is a period of denial where we're literally looking in the mirror and seeing what is not an attractive hairstyle. There's no way around it. When you're starting to pay attention to the Rogaine commercials, like, maybe I could do it. Oh, okay, yeah. And I, I don't know. At some point, uh, I couldn't do anything with my hair. I remember, because I've been in bands forever and hair bandy type things, and going to a hairstylist who was much younger than me and saying, she's like, what do you want? Like, I don't know, just, just, you know, do something cool. And she played with the hair for a little while and she just and she got flustered i'm like what's the matter she's like i there's nothing cool i can do with oh. this and she felt so bad not as bad as i felt <laughs> and i think it was probably a couple days after that i just pulled out the trimmers and just shaved it down and then of course i had that moment which many of us have many of us men were bald like we rub your hand and go oh what have i done what evil <laughs> hath i wrought and then i went to work and caught a just a 
enormous amount of shit from a gentleman named Ryan Minto. Who literally often joins the chat. Who literally took pictures and made images and art and just was merciless. <laughs> he and his perfect fucking head of hair were just merciless to me. But then I would say about three or four days into into the shaving of the head, I'm like, you know what? This looks way better than it did before. And then there was like, you know what? I never have to buy shampoo or conditioner again. It's one bar of soap. And I and it was one of the best decisions I ever made. Because if you're a go-getter, you can either be going bald. Or you can be bald. And I choose to be. But also back at that time when you first shaved your head, you also, I've, I've seen band uh, pictures and promotional and you had crazy beards mm-hmm. and crazy mustaches. Mm-hmm. And uh, not like the bracket, the lettuce bracket at the beginning of the pandemic, not that many, but a handful. And that might, you still do that sometimes. You That's your. Yeah. The good news is I don't have a lot of hair on the top of my head. No, sorry. The bad news is no hair on the top of the head. But you know what? The Lord provides. The Lord provides. And the counter to that is I can do all kinds of crazy stuff with my facial hair because it grows like crazy. And then the Lord hates you. The Lord hates you. Because, man, if I could, my ear hair and nose hair and my crazy Andy Rooney eyebrows, and now I've got hair coming out in places, I'm like, there's not even a follicle here. There's not even a follicle. What are you doing to me, motherfucker? So, yeah. So now I am a bald man who has to trim his nose hair, ear hair, and every now and then pluck his crazy Andy Rooney eyebrows. It's a fact. Okay. Bryce Collins asks, what novel or short story of yours do you think is underappreciated? All of them, frankly. All of them. Every time there is some kind of TV anthology of short stories and my shit's not in it, I hate everyone involved with that project. My shit should be in there. It should have been in the new Twilight Zone. It should have been in the old Twilight Zone. I, I should have been in X-Files. I should have been Warehouse 13. Frankly, the entire world has yet to wake the fuck up and okay. smell the greatness. Smell the goddamn greatness, you sons of bitches. Done. Okay. Frank Driscoll asks, or says, you've talked in the past about having the opposite of writer's block. Have you ever gotten reader's block? And I will say, I googled Mm. reader's block to see if it was a thing. Mm. And that precisely worded question, and not the first part, the not having writer's block, but the have you ever gotten reader's block came up like 67,000 times from the same block. I'm going to need you to, now this is a challenge for my uh, incredibly stunning, awesome wife. I'm going to need you into three sentences or less. In actual sentences, tell me what reader's block is. Because I it popped in my head. I have my reader's block. What does it mean? I, I, I just said I, the, I was trying to look it up, and the only thing I found was the article that creates the question. Oh, got Okay, yeah. great. So do I have reader's block? I would say yes. The biggest problem I'm having right now is I will, re, I will meet a new author. I will read their series. I will start with their first book. And... Almost inevitably, by the time when I love the first book, I'll move on to the second book. And in my head, which is counting the short days of my life every day, I'm like, that's basically the same fucking story. And like all these people are going to live. And I, you know, there's no, I no longer have tension or suspense in the story because this same person is on the cover of book five and I'm on book two. So that would call a little bit of reader's block. And I lose, I gray out, I lose focus. I'm like, I frankly, it's no comment on the writing or the plot or the characterization or the person. I just don't fucking care anymore. I'm like, I'm not at all tense when these people are in danger. So I tend to put those series down. I'm in the middle of doing that right now. I'd say the last series I've read absolutely to completion uh, and been on the edge of my seat for all of it 
was Naomi Neverick, Na- Naomi Novak's Temerary series, and that's 15 years ago. Yeah. So it's really difficult for me to get through an entire series. Um, you mean you read it or it came out 15 years ago? I think she was done. I think the last book came out over 10 years ago. Yeah, but you Which is a goddamn it. fucking spectacular fucking series. Fucking World War, no, Napoleonic Wars with an Air Force of Dragons. Check, please. I have a reader's block in that I find it hard to read romance books. Um, and I think that's part of it. You don't like the comfort of the series. You just, that's, you're not into I, that kind of writing. I don't like reading about normal reading. people. Um, and, uh, but for me, I have trouble reading romance books because I would like the human beings to be like me and flaw, flaw, like normal and flawed and worried about, did I set the coffee pot and, Gosh, I hate this haircut. And and that doesn't really happen, but it does happen in mysteries and thrillers. So I read those incessantly and I don't care. I can't even I can't even tell you how many I've read and I can't tell you a single title. I just keep picking them up on Audible. Paul Inman in the chat room just mocked me and said, Hey, wait, <laughs> you're not a series guy? And he's asking that because he should burn in hell. Because all I do is write series. You know what, Paul? Enjoy the Flames of Mescopolis. Thank you very much. <laughs> he's not gonna block you though. He only does that accidentally. <laughs> In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Colin Davidson says hi from Scotland. Hello, Colin. Welcome. Hello. Elliot Evans asks, if you could take one Blood is Red story and expand it to novel length, would Mm. you do And if so, which one? Mm. One Blood is Red story expanded to novel length. I think I can safely say I don't think so, because all of those stories are short stories for a reason. Mm -hmm. I Even I, a serial serializer cannot extend those stories. Those all have a pretty definitive end to them. Yeah. So I think the answer is no, which I'm very happy to say. And I think, uh, like, for example, that we keep talking about Blood is Red is my favorite story that Scott's written, and I think I would not like it as a 175,000-word book because it would be too 
inevitably heartbreaking. <laughs> it's already heartbreaking enough. So I think I would probably think, nope, this one's too dark for me. Dude, the motherfuckers in the chat room right now are literally trying to extend GFL to a 14-book series. They've gradually yeah. been incrementally creeping it up. You know what? <laughs> and all of you, do you are you aware of how hot the flames of Satan are? They're very hot. <laughs> Tony Lee asks, do you ever just hit a wall? Oh, Ryan Mento's in the... In the I, don't uh, think, I don't think Ryan Mento was here when we were talking yeah. about him earlier, so he's going to have to go back and watch both of these episodes. <laughs> Tony Lee asks, do you ever just hit a wall when writing? I'm not asking about writer's block, but more if there are times you can't make your brain write good, if maybe halfway through a novel or something. Yeah, that has happened, and it took a long time to learn it, and it was after A and I started working together where I would work until two or three in the morning and fucking crawl into bed and get up the next day and whine and piss and moan and send emails to you like, none of this didn't go to start over again. She's like, it's because you were, you write garbage after 10 o'clock. So everything you write after 10 or nine o'clock is shit. So stop writing at those times. So yes, we, that happened many years ago, but we have changed the absolute max for writing original content is probably eight to 8.30 p.m. Mm -hmm. The max for editing is probably 9 o'clock because after that, I'm just like, fuck these 8,000 words. I'm deleting them. <laughs> and then I'll be like, I deleted 47 pages last night. She'll be like, what did they say? I'm like, I don't know. I didn't have a backup. I deleted that shit. I don't, I don't know. Fucking, it's, it's, I got to do it all over again. And then we spend a lot of time rewriting content that could have made us money. So that that's an answer to the question. Yep. We already put out uh, books that are sometimes the length of two other books that we, like other people. So we could have sold them twice. So we for sure do not throw away 50,000 words anymore. Okay. Antonio Martini that's a fabulous name. It is. It's real good. Antonio Martini asks, is there a lot of yourself in your writing? And if mm. there is, from what parts of your life do you draw the most? Is there a lot of myself in my writing? I would say yes, all the way through everything. And that is being said with allowing myself to expand my morality and my experience into realms with which I have no experience that also are different from my own morality. Uh, so primarily, there's a certain moral code to most of my main characters, secondary characters in my work. And I think it's fairly referential to what I'm doing. But if you only write books about yourself and people who think like you, that is dogmatic and extraordinarily boring. So in order to make living, breathing characters who think otherwise, in order to provide a contrast to your main characters, you have to expand beyond yourself. But even when I expand beyond myself, I get these people. You know what I mean? As, as, you know what? Hey, this is a genocidal maniac. I'm like, you know what? I'm not saying I approve. But I understand, <laughs> to quote Chris Rock, Chris Rock's actually super helpful. Some of his stand-up as influential in my career. When he's, I'm not saying I condone it, but I understand. Like that thought allows me to move into these other characters. So yeah, I'm in all of them and there's people who are not me in all of them, but I understand. And I will uh, add, because this question has been asked in a variety of ways before, but since you asked it, I don't think you will have seen this. But very specifically, Scott has talked about several things that are literally from his life. In Pandemic, is it? Where Margot and Otto the divorce, are yeah. divorcing. Mm -hmm. He drew on his real-life relationship and divorce at the time for that. And there's also a scene in somewhere in the GFL, I think in the starter, I'm not positive, where 
Coach Hokor makes John and Ju, is it, hold hands and sit at the 50-yard line together until they can work through their BS. And that is a thing that Scott's parents did to Scott and his brother. That's worst, a real worst life Worst single worst punishment I ever had in my entire <laughs> life. For all the times, my dad's a hands-on guy, which means when my brother and I, when he said, don't do this, and we went too far, there was corporal punishment in our household. But also, it's not a lot of it because we we're like, I ain't doing that shit again. And for all of that, the the countless drubbings I took from my own brother, the countless beatings my tiny ass got on the football field, the countless just brutal getting my ass whipped on the wrestling mat, all of this physical stuff where I was able to just fucking fuck you, come on back, let's go, I'll do it again. The one thing I only did one time was my parents made me hold my brother's hand on the front porch <laughs> because we were acting the fool and it was... The worst punishment I've ever had in my entire life, and I've never done it again. So I had to get that into a book. <laughs> and David, I think you might be right. I do think it might have been, or I'm sorry, Icicle. Oh yeah, maybe Ma, you both Ma said that. Tweety yeah. is based on Ma Sigler. It's yeah. magnified and it's amplified and it's exaggerated, but Ma Tweety is absolutely my mom. And my dad, this verbally intellectual, physically dominating guy who just like kind of takes over any room he walks into. And is very positive and engaged with everybody, but everybody's paying attention to that motherfucker. It's just, it's one, he's one of those dudes. In my house, that sort of masculinity coming in uh, was very well balanced with my mom, who was far more quiet and soft-spoken, but it, it was, we gradually learned through multiple iterative lessons in our life. You don't fuck with mom. You don't want that this is still heat. True to you this do day. not want this heat, dude. And it was not. It's not like all physical. But the mom is. Mom was not to be crossed. And my brother and I learned that pretty early on. So Ma Tweety, Ma Tweety's is a great exaggeration because Ma yep. Tweety's this tiny little human being, maybe a five four, maybe a mm -hmm. buck five, a buck mm -hmm. ten, and her sons are literal giants by our modern standards. And she runs that household and that family with an iron fist, and they don't say shit. And there's also, you didn't actually say it, but there is the powerfulness that his dad was. A lot of that shows up in Hokor. Yeah. And how he coaches from a positive perspective. And some of the things he says verbatim well, were things that Scott and, was and I'll say this quick so we move say. on to some other questions. Uh, my dad was an amazing educator in the values of a meritocracy because I was the coach's son, which in a lot of football programs can create an enormous amount of problems because sometimes the coach's son is not as good as the coach wants the son to be. And the coach will advance his son into positions where there are other people who are better at that particular position or put too much on this 15 year old kid and expect him to elevate. And, and it, it can cause a lot of problems that did not happen in my house. In my house, my dad was very, Incredibly supportive, super proud of me. There was no question he was happy I was there and wanted me. And he was very super proud of my toughness and how hard I worked. But there was I was not gonna be the starting no. quarterback. <laughs> no, that was never no matter like there one time we had three quarterbacks get hurt. I come in, I'm ready to go. He brought up a fullback, made him the quarterback because the fullback is a better athlete. Mm. So meritocracy is a great thing. Jordan Henderson says, I remember Sacred Cow from Stranger Things way back when. We've mentioned a few times tonight. Mm -hmm. For me, it still stands up, and I loved hearing it again after so long. My question is if when you hear stories you wrote long ago, what do you think? There's this weird tesseract, if you will. If you take a line and you pull the two ends together and let the, the insides fold together and like that, and it's this old the line, the witch in the, was line, the, witch in the road robe, was that tesseract? Mm -hmm. that, that whole thing... Where, in effect, it's a bit of a time travel thing. 
And way back when I was writing, specifically writing short stories, I was finding things that I knew I could tell in 5,000 words-ish or less. So now when I go back and listen to those, I'm like, that's pretty cool. That's not bad. That's a really good idea. You delivered this well. Then when I moved into novel writing, I've gradually become accustomed to, I don't read my own work unless I absolutely have to for factual and continuity purposes because I fucking hate, I hate it. I hate my own work because when you stretch something out to novel length, you get all of your creative weaknesses are exposed. If you're not good at character development, you're not good at continuity, you can't keep track of things. All of those things are writ large for everyone to see. So now I don't really read my own work unless I have to. But when I go back into the old short stories, I'm like, that's pretty tight. That's a pretty tight story. In the chat room on YouTube, Ben Fraley says, I'm from Indiana and I resent that statement. We are much worse people from Iowa. And Ben, aren't you the Ewok guy? We're all horrible, Ben. We're all horrible, <laughs> flawed, tragic, selfish, pit, petty, bitter people. Let's be honest. And every time we do something nice for other people, you should pat yourself on the back and you should have a glass of, of Oban, which is what Eric asked was in the, in the glass. Okay. Jeff Evans says, if you could have dinner with up to five of your characters, mm. living or dead, who would the dinner guests be? I've got to answer Ryan's question. If I, let's see, I'll think about it. I definitely would have Ma Tweedy. I definitely would have Masal. Um, so what characters would I have for dinner? Yeah, you could have up, up to five of your five characters, characters for, dinner. for dinner. Ma Tweedy. Yeah, for sure. Ma, Ma Tweedy, Pookie Chang, <laughs> Masal the Efficient. I'm not inviting Kayla Myers to dinner. It's not going to happen. Or Ann Lafferty. I'm not going anywhere near Ann Lafferty. I think, although I do think, as crazy as it sounds, Yitzhak Shandi. Yeah. Uh, from, I was going to say yeah, From the Crypt. Because I think that is that is one of the strongest characters I've ever written. It's the one of the, the best things I've done in my career is to write this absolutely reprehensible character. And most characters you write... This is a good person with a tragic flaw. He is a tragic person with a good flaw mm -hmm. that gets in the way of him delivering. We did Masal the Efficient, right? Uh -huh. Who's, who's so, you know what? Let's be honest. Who's hot? Uh, <laughs> let's make the fifth one. Let's make this one someone smoking. Who do we got that's smoking who does not want to murder people or cut off their penises? Who does, who's Kayla Myers? I'll go with Somalia Midori. Let's bring fair, her over. Okay, fair, Let's bring fair, her over. Because yeah, you know exactly what you're getting with Somalia Midori. You know exactly what you're getting. Also, if she just every evening, smoking. Looks I think good. Clarence Otto, I would also. Ah, come on. Seriously? That dude. Come on. Grow a backbone, Clarence. Jesus. <laughs> okay. Claire Cook asks, do you hide any secrets in your books that only a few people will find? Or little hat tips or Easter eggs for people or love. Jesus Christ, Claire, do you not read my... Okay, if you have read through all of my stuff, you probably see most of those Easter eggs. I hide stuff for people who have read all of the stuff. Sometimes read all of the stuff multiple times. So that is one of my great joys in life, is to bury these invisible yet linearly contextual Easter eggs within the stories so that hopefully when you're five books down the road and you're distracted because you're having trouble with your spouse and your kid's acting up at school and God, you just don't want to go to work and you just abstractly listen to my story and you'll hear something like, wait, this is the third time I've heard the story. Did I catch this shit before? And then you'll go back and listen back to other stuff and then you get that, you get that mind-blowing moment. This motherfucker planned this shit from fucking square one. And I read the first story 
15 years ago, I think that is a moment of magic as a creator that not a lot of people get. And I agree with you, Colin Davidson, in the Facebook chat. They're not going to... Donna would have him for dinner. Oh, got it. We're not going to spoil any of those Easter eggs. So you'll find them on your own if you haven't and if you do. But I'll also add this. I know of at least one thing that is a specific... It means specifically something to the one person who will read that. And and I think that's, I think, I don't know if that ever will happen, but that's pretty cool. And of course, it sounds like she probably didn't know either. There's a lot of junky names in books, of course. Yep, let's go. Brad Stronger says, do you think you'll host any more Sigler Fests in the future? And the answer to that is absolutely no. No. Nope. 100% it's just, no. It's not going to happen. It, it, the number of people attending became a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Once we got up to 250 people, it was, it just, there were problems that arose that A and I could have never seen happening. And once those problems arose and those problems caused conflict between the two of us, we're already going in the red in these things. We're working our ass off in these things. We are literally sacrificing a month's writing every year to put these things on. We were like, you know what? I'm not doing this shit if I'm arguing with you. <laughs> this is my the fucking the empress of my life right here. I'm not going to argue with her over this shit. So we did nine. They were spectacular. I will we not trade them for anything. Yep. We were we tried to do the ten, but oops, COVID. So but, no, we're not doing another one. And there are certain we, as you guys know, if you watch mm. this show and you have been faithfully watching this show for any length of time during the pandemic, we are very science minded people. Mm-hmm. And I do not want to be. I do not as yet feel like I want to be responsible. For making people come to a place where they could likely get sick. And that's going to go on for me for a couple more years at the very uh, least. Eric Fisher suggests maybe a lottery and keep it to 20 people. And mm. the, the other thing we might do is we may have something attached. The very first Sigler Fest was attached to a different convention. And we had their permission to do it. And we did it the day before. But I think the only thing much that may then, happen though. It was is, really small. Oh, yeah. It was quite, yeah. Like was 20 quite, people. Quite and a goodly amount of them were either local or just they were arriving the, the, a day early anyway. But what I will tell you is we will very likely plan, if we oh, go to conventions cruise. like good idea, um, David. Dragon Con or a cruise, things like that, that could Ooh. happen, where it would be a thing exactly like that, where if we say we're going to Dragon Con next year, we'll show up a couple of days early and literally be like, cool, we're staying at this hotel or we're staying in this area of town. We're definitely taking a booze cruise on Saturday. Here's the link if you want to buy tickets and go with us. And so that we are not doing any organizing. Yeah, that's the big thing. The, uh, ideas, but we can still hang out Ideas with where we get courted as talent to entertain lovely people with disposable income. We're listening to that. Anything <laughs> where we have to plan a thing. You may all burn in hell. Uh, let, ask Paul's question, babe. Paul Inman in the Facebook chat says, you mentioned the end of the Sigler verse. What's behind that and what comes next? All right. So what is behind it is we are, I am now tapped out on my second detailed continuity managed franchise. The first was Star Wars. Star Wars, for a while, was incredibly well integrated. Very, I met the guy who was in charge of just the FileMaker Pro database to keep track of all the shit and all the connections. It was really well done, but eventually it got to a point where your job as an entertainer, in that format, 
you need to sell toys to young people. That's Star Wars. The objective of Star Wars is to sell merch. That is what the whole franchise is all about. Eventually, you got to the point where people were like, how many books do I have to read in comic books and video games do I have to play and movies do I have to watch to keep track of all this shit? And it collapsed under its own weight. Now, A&I stopped watching uh, the MCU, the chronological watch-through after Loki. And I won't say why for spoilers, but after Loki season one, I'm like, dude, I'm not, how much time am I going to spend in my life doing this shit? It gets to a point where it collapses under its own weight. Yeah. And specific to the MCU, we were doing an in-universe chronological watch through because he had seen quite a lot of the MCU and I had seen not so very much of the MCU. We were filling in pieces for him, but also... It got to the point where at this point, I know enough about the MCU that I don't care if I miss a few things here and there or I miss like why it was in this order. I don't know that matter. So I think that is also one of the things as well. Yeah. And it was like it gets to a point where I am a fan. Uh, I'm a fanboy. I watch a thing. I get super into it. And then at some point, the creators of that property take their eye off the ball or they start looking at another ball. And all of these things are perfectly fine. They're the ones making the things and remind me to do Berkshire Hathaway reference to this in a second. Okay. It in having experienced the disappointment of that as a fan and having my heart broke, my heart broke and be like, dude, I would have watched shit forever. What are you guys doing? How do you fuck this shit up? It's clearly, you don't give a fuck about us fans anymore. I don't want that to happen. And now we are to the point where if you're going to be a full dedicated Siglerverse aficionado, we're, we're talking in the ballpark of 12 to 14 novels and short stories. And you have to listen to all of this to get all of the in jokes for what's coming up. I think that's too much. And it's also too much for me. My brain doesn't work that way. We've got this huge wiki. So now we're like, so what comes, so we're going to, we're going to, we're going to finish it properly. We're going to do what these other franchises, these bigger franchises have not. We're like, there is an end to this. Everything ties together. You can then go back and watch, listen to all of it from beginning to end, and you will see connections that you never thought were there before. And when you get to the end, you will be happy. And you will be, you will say to yourself, the time I spent with the Siglerverse was wonderful. It finished strong. They respected me. They respected my time. I'm going to go back and listen to it again. And then you're going to buy a bunch of fuck ton of my merch, right? Because you just, you want to throw money at me. It's what you want to do. As far as the Berkshire Hathaway thing goes, the gentleman just died today. Do you, do you know Warren who that Buffett? is? No, the other guy. The other guy. Henry Kissinger? I don't think Henry Kissinger was in Berkshire Hathaway. But he did die today. Did he? Yeah. No. It's definitely Warren Buffett. R.I.P.H.K. No, he's not. No, there's Munger. Charlie Munger died today, and he died at 99. And I read a bunch of a bunch of his quotes. Which, when you are a multi-billionaire and you die at 99, you get to have people post your quotes. That's how it works. And one of them, one of his was, one of his great quotes was, "If you're building," I'm paraphrasing. "If you're building a business." You should build your business so that any idiot could run it well, because eventually an idiot will be running your business. And I thought that was awesome. And there is no one who's as big of an idiot as me. (laughs) If I don't put a capstone on this motherfucker, it's going to wind up just some crazy garbage is going to come out. Now, frankly, I don't want 
I don't want the fourth iteration of the rookie. Yeah. When I'm dead, I got no control. A's in charge of that shit. But by and large, I'd like someone to make... I'm going off. I'm going off too long. The end of the singular verse, what comes after is me writing a bunch of one single book horror stories, much more in the Stephen King vein, mm -hmm. without sequels, which also goes into our Hollywood efforts and our adaptation efforts. If I write one tight, discreet novel with one tight, discreet idea, our chances of getting adaptations and me being able to be on the red carpet for a premiere with my beautiful wife in a <laughs> fucking green dress, which is one of our goals forever. That'll come true before I die. So there you go. <laughs> so I think I've been looking in the chat room. I don't think that there's an another new question. Let me scroll, scroll down mm -hmm. just a little bit. Make sure that we said that Eric Fisher. Yeah, I think we're good. As you talk, there's a good one from Nick Ladd. As you talk yep. about finishing the Siglerverse, is this going to incorporate connections on the generation? Oh, show? shit. Nick, how goddamn dare you? <laughs> the flames of hell burn hot. Hot. Sir, it's all connected. It's all of this shit has been connected and planned for a very long time. It's all written down. It's all tracked. So whatever I do, stay alive. It's all connected. I can't, I can't reveal what connects to what right now because I don't like spoilers and I don't want to give you guys any clues to figure out how everything ties together. But I will say in all modest, in all modesty, mm. a knows I'm a very modest person. When it is all when it is all said and done, the platinum standard for how to tie shit together, it's gonna be fucking right here, dog. It's gonna be fucking right here. And I'm gonna go out on top in the Sigilverse, kiss it goodbye, and then I'll write a bunch of stories that are nothing but fart jokes. So there you go. All right. I think maybe we head out on that note. Colin Davidson asked one more. Colin, I have a current comic book adaptation brewing in the wings right now. I will give it a 12.7% chance of actually happening because I have experience with the people making it. But yes, we have that. However, the broader answer is no. We are focused on writing these next 12 novels, getting them done, getting them in the store, um, making money off of these novels by delivering a solid product to an adoring audience. Uh, and then A and I want to spend more time sitting in lawn, ch lawn chairs, sipping my ties. And maybe fall asleep in lunch or Fortnite, yeah. which I'm going to do shortly. <laughs> you guys, thank you so much for joining us for the live stream. If you joined the live stream and everybody listening on the podcast, thank you for joining us. The next thing you will have in your feed in one week, in either case, um, is the uh, start of the Slay. Slay Book 2. Slay Season 2. Mjolnir will be back. Oh, and yeah. also in your back, which is a whole different equation. You're going <sighs> to sign off the podcast? I'm going to sign off the podcast. You guys are all wonderful. And this has been a wonderful time talking to you all. And as wonderful as you are, we want to let you know that we're going to go goof off. Happy birthday to me, motherfuckers. And, and you may all... You know what you know what it is? Do you know what it is? It's beautiful. Is beautiful, and you can kiss off into the sky. Ha ha ha! <laughs> you have been listening to Blood Is Red. 
volume one of the Color Collection series of short story anthologies written by Scott Sigler, performed by the author. For more information on Scott, please visit scottsigler.com. Blood is Red was produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Copyright 2023, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is Dead Silence by the composer Vazia Sakal. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.